You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 2 to 14. All the men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning. The Lord bless you. All right, yeah, we're now at the third sermon of this opening series for the year. And again, to remind you, the purpose of this series is to answer the question, uh, what's next for Agape Baptist Church, right? So where are we going as a church? And my continued prayer for all of us is that by the end of this series, you would be ready to arise to bring about flourishing as part of this every member church. Now, so far, uh, what we've heard is that the church is a body, Last week, we heard that the purpose of the church is to be fruitful, whether that means uh, making disciples, uh, abounding in the fruit of the Spirit, uh, planting churches, right? We are to be fruitful by abiding in Christ. Now, as you've been sitting through these sermons, you uh, would have heard a call for you to personally take action. In the first sermon, it was a call to get closer, a call to discover your gifts, Uh, In the previous sermon, it was a call to abide in Christ, right? To choose to actively belong on a daily and weekly basis. Now, perhaps you've had some difficulty in receiving this call to action. You know, maybe you've been thinking, ah, you know, I'm too old already, right? Uh, This every member church thing is for the young people. uh, I take care of my grandchildren already. I have no more energy. Or maybe you, you, you've been thinking, ah, this every member church thing is you know, it's for a certain kind of agapian only. It's only for those who are educated, can you know, know how to talk very well, but I only know how to do things with my hands. Right? Am I really part of this? And even for those of us who are younger, who feel more capable, you, know, you may have your own doubts as well. 
just recently I got up uh, one morning and as I was getting into the day, I started to feel a bit off, right? And out of nowhere, my legs started getting weak. Uh, my stomach started churning. I felt really uncomfortable. I felt like I wanted to puke. I was covered in cold sweat and I started blacking out right, out of nowhere. After a while, this, this thing passed. And I have little idea where it came from, what it is. And again, this is perhaps a reminder for us to be praying for your pastors. But I was reminded personally of how Isaiah was saying that even young men shall faint and grow weary and fall exhausted. And so for, for those of you who are younger, you know, you might be facing all kinds of exhausting situations in your life. And perhaps you're wondering, do I have the capacity to commit to this every member church vision? And so today I want to lead us to you know, just ask ourselves a very simple uh, but a very important question. And that question is, do I really have a part to play? And as we look at today's passage, I, wanna, I want you to hear the answer that Scripture gives us, and it comes in two parts. Part one, the vision, and part two, the resource. So let's get started. Do I really have a part to play? Beginning with part one, the vision. Today's passage comes to us from the book of Titus. Uh, if you're not aware, Titus was a young man. He's a fairly young pastor of a fairly young church. And uh, this church was uh, on an island called Crete, C-R-E-T-E, Crete. And Paul was writing to Titus, and I, I, I think he intended to encourage him and I wanted to help him to deal with some of the issues that were going on in his church. Well, in today's passage, Paul lays out a vision for how Titus' church ought to behave and function. And what Paul says in this passage today actually gives us a general vision for how our church ought to behave and function as well. And so to help us look a little more closely at this vision, uh, here are five principles from Titus chapter 2, verses 2 to 10. Principle number one, in Paul's vision for the church, no one is left out. Now Paul, in today's passage, Paul includes this whole spectrum of people. Now at first, it seems like Paul is trying to break the church down uh, in categories of age, right? So he addresses the older men, older women, younger women, younger men. But then Paul later jumps to address people of different status. In verse 7, Paul addresses Titus as the pastor of the church. And being the leader of the church, Titus probably held the highest status in the church. Then later in verse 9, Paul addresses the bond servants, or we could call them slaves. And slaves often held the lowest status no matter where they went. And so by addressing this whole spectrum of people, Paul is telling us that in the church body, no one should be left out. Every member belongs to the body. Every member matters to the body. So no one should be excluded from getting involved. And so you might be elderly, and you might feel like serving God is a young people kind of thing. And maybe you need to hear Paul's reminder that even at your age and at your stage, uh, you do have a part to play. You might be younger, and you might be thinking that serving God can come later, right? You've got your studies to think about, you've got to settle down, you've got to get your career going, and you're thinking maybe, you know, serving God can wait till all that is done. But maybe you too need Paul's reminder that serving the Lord begins now at your age and in your stage of life. And as we look around the church, look around our church, 
There are also categories of people that Paul does not mention in this passage. You might be in a wheelchair at home listening to this sermon. Does God have any plans for you? You know, you might be a domestic worker in our church. Are you allowed to serve God? Or do you need a higher status in order to serve? But the principle that Paul gives us is that no one should be left out from being involved in the church body. Whatever the state of your health, whatever the state of your status, whatever your situation, you are part of the vision of the church. That's principle number one. Principle number two, everyone has a role to play. Today's passage tells us that we all have different roles to play. And the thing is that these roles change as our lives change. So as we get older, our roles change. Uh, as our situations change, our roles change. As our status changes over time, our role changes. But the truth is, even with all these changes, you never graduate from serving the vision of the church. You never outgrow the church body. There is no retirement. There is no medical ineligibility. There is no special leave when it comes to being part of the body of Christ. Your role may change. You may be doing something different from before or doing something that feels less important, but you have a role nevertheless. Everyone has a role to play. Principle number three, being comes before doing. Now, we don't have time to look at each and every verse in detail, but if we did, we would find that Paul primarily calls the people to be. Right? The older men are to be sound in faith and in love. The older women are to be reverent in behavior. The young women are to be kind. The young men to be self-controlled. The Titus, the pastor, is to be a model of good works. Slaves are to be well-pleasing. So Paul gives a lot more focus to being than to doing. And much of what Paul wants the church to be actually boils down to the fruit of the Spirit. So again, would you abide? The being that Paul calls us to can only properly take place as we draw close to Christ day by day, week by week. And as we decide to actively belong in Christ, we will be abundantly fruitful. Now on to principle number four. Consider the culture. Out of the many things that Paul calls the people to be, he keeps resounding one thing, and that is for the people to be self-controlled. Three times he makes this call explicitly, but at least two other times, Paul makes this call implicitly. And this is a little strange. For those of you who are familiar with Paul's other letters, you know, Paul usually emphasizes having love for one another or having faith in God or having hope for the future. But here in Titus, Paul emphasizes having self-control. Now, why is that? Well, we've got to understand the land and the culture that the, this church was in. Again, this church was on the island of Crete. And in Titus chapter 1, Paul says this about the people of Crete. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then Paul goes on to say, 
this testimony or this evaluation is true. So Paul is aware of the, you know, he's aware of the culture of the land and he's concerned that the Christians would give in to that culture. And so in his vision for this church, Paul condemns the lying, slanderous and gossips. He condemns the gluttony of drunkenness and becoming slaves to much wine. He calls the Christians to reject laziness and to be dignified and not to steal. But on the other hand, Paul repeatedly calls them to self-control. And in that Greek culture of the day, self-control, self-mastery was highly valued. And Paul affirms that this pursuit of self-control is good, it's noble. But of course, as Christians, we, the way we pursue self-control is totally different. But the desire to have self-control, it's a good desire. So Paul affirms the value that the culture places on seeking self-control. Now, similarly for us as a church, we need to consider the culture we are in. You know, are we quick to dismiss everything that the culture values? Or are we quick to accept anything that the culture celebrates? You know, are you someone who immediately rolls your eyes uh, when you, you know, at anything and everything that it seems popular, that is trending uh, in our culture? Or are you someone who jumps on the bandwagon too quickly, too often? Paul envisions a church that is able to discern between what is helpful and what is hurtful in the culture, and to celebrate what is good, but to renounce what is bad. And so it is necessary to consider our culture. What are the values in our culture that we ought to reject as Christians? What are the values in our culture that we ought to affirm as Christians? Consider the culture. That's principle number four. Now on to the, the fifth and final principle. Flourishing is the goal. In verses 2 to 10, Paul's vision for the church doesn't only include what to be and what to do, but also the why, right? So in verse 4, for example, Paul calls for older women to train younger women. Why? So that families can flourish through the love of these younger women. In verse 8, Paul calls for the pastors to live and teach in an exemplary way. Why? So that the church can flourish through silencing those who oppose the church. In verse 10, Paul calls for the slaves not to be argumentative or thieving. Why? So that the community and the city can flourish through their display of God's graciousness and His goodness. Now, similarly, we too are called to pursue flourishing in the various contexts that we are part of. The church is to seek flourishing. Flourishing is the goal. And as we move into this every member church vision, flourishing must be our goal. Would you join me? Let's read this together. All right, if you're ready, want to go. As in every member church, agape must become a body where every member is utilizing his or her God-given gifts for the flourishing of the church, the family, the community, the city, and the nations. We seek the flourishing of the church through serving the household of God, the body of Christ here in Agape, so that as a, as a church, we flourish as a strong and interdependent community. We seek the flourishing of the family so that whether you are 
are single, married, you have kids or not, you're widowed, and so on. You know, we seek the flourishing of marriages, the flourishing of parenting and children, and the flourishing of non-married singles in the context of the family. We seek the flourishing of the community, right, through loving our neighbors, through serving people outside the church that you perhaps, you know, you cycle with, you play badminton with, you know, discuss your parenting woes with, uh, that you do acts of service with, right? We want to seek the flourishing of the community. And we seek the flourishing of the city through faith and work, through justice and mercy, whether with uh, the migrant workers, whether with the children in need of fostering and adoption, uh, whether with those with special needs, those even uh, in prison, and also through blessing and engaging the Pekio community. We want to see the flourishing of the city. And finally, we also pursue the flourishing of the nations. You know, the, the degree of flourishing, right, this flourishing of the nations, it, it would have been really hard for the church, that very young church in the book of Titus, to pursue. Right? They probably didn't have the resources that, that we do today. They probably didn't live in a world that was as interconnected as ours today. So the thing is, today we can seek the flourishing of the nations around us. We can make an impact to Shalom School for the flourishing of East Timor. Right? We can be a blessing to the Ark Victory Church to bring about the flourishing of Chennai and India. We can seek the flourishing of these nations and the flourishing of the gospel in these nations. So for Paul's vision of the church, flourishing is the goal. Similarly for us, as we embark on truly becoming this every-member church, flourishing is the goal. Flourishing of the church, flourishing of the family, flourishing of the community, flourishing of the city, and of the nations. And so as an every-member church, no one is left out. Everyone has a role to play. Being through abiding in Christ must come before the fruitfulness of our doing. And we want to consider the culture and the world that we live in so that we can see flourishing take place. This is a tremendous work that God is calling us to as a church. And maybe as you hear all this, you know, you're thinking, this every member church vision sounds really hard. Sounds like a lot of work. I'm considering my own situations. I'm considering my own responsibilities in life. Oh, this, this might be a bit impossible for me. And so the question comes up again, do I really have a part to play? And I think at this point, we need to look at the second part, which is the resource. We're looking now at verses 11 to 14. Uh, Paul has shown us the vision for the church, how it should function and behave. Now Paul shows us the resource that will make this vision a reality. Paul begins by saying, For the grace of God has appeared. The word for is really important. The word for tells us that Paul is about to give us the reason for the vision, right? the reality behind the possibility, and the truth that roots the fruit. And what is this truth? What is this resource? Paul says it is the grace of God. It is not the heavy law of God. It is not the painful discipline of God. It is the grace of God, the favor of God, the goodness of God 
that has already appeared. So if you're feeling weighed down and burdened as you listen to the vision for that church earlier, then perhaps you've lost sight of the grace of God. Now, what is this grace? Paul is referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of God's favor upon the undeserving. It is the binding covenant promises of God to all who believe in Jesus. The grace of God is our resource that brings salvation for all people. God's grace is the gift that keeps on giving. God's grace brings us salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the removal of shame, the lifting of guilt, the payment for the penalty, our redemption from the curse. This grace raises us from death to eternal life. This grace adopts us, even though once we were enemies, into the family of God. And the list goes on. This is the most excellent and unsurpassed gift of salvation. And it has been given to all people. Right? These are the people mentioned earlier in today's passage. The old, the young, the pastor, the slave, every member of the church of Jesus Christ enjoys the gift of salvation that has been given. But the gift of salvation doesn't come alone. Not only does this grace save us, it trains us. Trains us to do what? Firstly, God's grace trains us to say no, to renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions. God's grace gives us the ability to turn away from sin and to reject the ungodly values of the culture. Secondly, God's grace trains us to say yes, to say yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. God's grace gives us the ability to turn to God, to keep His commandments, to walk in His ways, and to live out and affirm the noble aspirations of the culture in our present day. Thirdly, God's grace trains us to keep saying both no when we need to and to keep saying yes when we need to. God's grace trains us to wait, to persevere, to hold on with the expectation for our blessed hope, which is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now people, these verses, they tell us that you and I have received a saving package. And this saving package is our resource. And that is our hope that as we have been entrusted with a vision for our church, your saving package, your resource, will bring that vision into reality. Now, as I conclude this sermon, there are three encouragements that I believe Paul is giving us from verses 11 to 14. Firstly, it's not about you. It's about the grace of God. The grace of God is your saving package. The grace of God not only saves you, but it also trains you. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only frees you from sin, but it also liberates you to pursue holiness. God's grace not only removes your hardened heart of sin, it replaces it with a soft heart of righteousness. God's grace, your saving package, is the resource you and I need. It is the resource that fuels the vision for the church. It is the resource that enables you, empowers you, and sustains you in the different roles you need to play. 
And that's why we sing. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. We need to keep the grace of God, the saving and training gospel of Jesus Christ, front and center in our personal lives and in the life of our church. It's not about you, but it's about the grace of our God. Secondly, it's not about what you can do, it's about what you are willing to trust God to do through you. You've been hearing about this every member church vision from the pulpit for a few weeks now. There's been a repeated call for you to arise, to use your giftings, to bring about flourishing. And perhaps some of us are already thinking, you know what, oh, okay, I, I've got this gift and I could probably use it in this and that way and you know, bring flourishing maybe to the community. But then there are some others of us who are thinking, what can I do? Right? Or what do I have to offer? And I think those are great questions. I'll let you know that right now we have something called the Glyph, Gift Clinic. Right? The Gift Clinic, well, that's actually harder to say than how it seems. Gift Clinic that is in the pipeline and the whole purpose of it is to help kickstart that process of discovering the gifts that God has blessed you with. And we want to help you discover uh, what you can do and what you have to offer. So you can look forward to that. But let's be very clear. It's not the giftedness of this church that is going to bring about the flourishing that we want to see. Last week, we heard Jesus say from John 15, Abide in me, for apart from me you can do Nothing. So we're not called to abide in our giftings or to abide in our abilities or to abide in the amount of time that we are able to spare or anything of ourselves whatsoever. Our hope is placed squarely on Jesus Christ. It's not what we can do, but it's about trusting Him. Trusting that by His grace, He will train you. Trusting that His grace will bring about the flourishing that we desire to see trusting that through He would work this flourishing through you and even through your simplest efforts. So let's not get obsessed with what we can or cannot do. Instead, let's be willing to trust God to work through us in ways we cannot even imagine. Now to the final encouragement. It's not only about peace, it's also about passion. But the fact that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are adopted, that we are accepted, that we are valued, the fact that we have peace with God, I mean, this is a glorious part of the gospel. But it's not the whole gospel. The gospel also declares that you are a new creation, that you have been filled with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That when Jesus freed you from your captivity to sin and death, He also gave you gifts. Gifts to be used passionately for His kingdom. Some of us may be holding on to a partial gospel, right? a gospel of peace without passion. Right? You may be looking at your saving package and you may be saying, you know, thanks so much for the saving grace, but training grace? Ah, no, no, thank you. I don't want that. Some others of us might have gotten so used to thinking of yourself as a sinner that you've forgotten that you are more so a saint. But as Paul says in closing, 
Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now, if Paul had stopped here, that would just be, you know, he would just leave us with a partial gospel. But Paul adds on, we are people who are zealous for good works. You see, the gospel not only comforts you and gives you peace, the gospel sets you free, it sets you on fire to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness zealously, passionately. So don't settle for a partial gospel. Allow the gospel to add passion to peace. So once again, it's not about you. It's about the grace of God. It's not about what you can do. It is about what you are willing to trust God to do through you. It's not only about peace, but it's also about passion. Next week, we will come to the final sermon of the series. And in that sermon, I'll be sharing with you some of the concrete plans that our church will be undertaking uh, to become this every member church and also be issuing a call to commitment. But right now, I want you to remember the vision for the church and to be reminded that you are not excluded, that you have a role to play, that your being through abiding in Christ comes before your fruitful doing. I want you to remember to consider the culture around you. I want you to make flourishing the goal. And as we pursue this vision together, we must not lose sight of the resource, your saving package of God's saving and training grace. Hold fast to the gospel. Come back to the good news of Jesus Christ day by day, week by week, and draw divine, supernatural, God-given strength and energy from the grace of God. Would you bow your heads with me and let's come to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.